Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Uh, This morning we're going to be again in Acts 11 verses 19 through 26. Uh, In this passage we have a snapshot of a ministry blessed by God. And we're taking the time to look at it carefully because we believe we have a lot to learn from such a picture about how we ought to do ministry today. Uh, Obviously, there's not a one-to-one correspondence between the ministry of the early church and the ministry of the church today, but there are aspects of ministry in the early church that should be reflected in the ministry of the church in every age. Last Sunday, we looked at the content and the extent of the ministry of the early church, and this morning, we will be looking at the fruit of their ministry the examination of their ministry, and finally, the cultivation of their ministry. Fruit, examination, and cultivation. But before we hear the reading and the preaching of God's Word, let's ask for God's blessing on the reading and the preaching. Would you pray with me? Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your Word. Silence in us any voices but your own so that we may hear your word and also do it. Gracious Father, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you revealed and do what you have commanded. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, y'all can come up and join me. Hey, welcome. Good to see all of you. Hey, Abel. All right. Simple question for you. How do babies grow? What do they need to grow? Food, yeah. Milk, Milk. yeah. They start off with milk, that's right. What else? Yeah, sleep, yeah. Babies need like 12 hours of sleep at night and maybe a couple of hours during the day. Uh, That's good for a baby. It also happens to be good for mom and dad. But a baby also needs rich milk. You know, I don't have any milk in here, but, you know, a baby needs rich milk uh, or else they're not really going to be able to grow. Their bodies won't be healthy without it. And little babies 
need to eat like every two hours. Uh, one feeding a day just is not going to do it. They have to have a steady diet of rich milk. Now, as you guys are older, do, do you still have to eat? Yeah, yeah. It's not something you do just one time. You, you have to keep on eating. Of course, you, you, you're probably eating solid foods now. Is that right? Solid foods? Yeah. Uh, like meats and fruits and veggies. You know, these days, though, you, you might only eat three meals a day, maybe some snacks, but you still need to eat regularly to grow, right? Missing a meal, not so good for you. Eating lots of junk food, not so good for you. Uh, but good sleep and a steady diet of good food is what makes for healthy bodies. It makes you grow. Even if you sleep a little less now than you used to, and maybe eat different things than you used to, the same habits that were good for you as a baby are still good for you now. And it's like that for us as Christians. When we first believe in Jesus, it's because we heard the good word, the good news about Jesus. The Holy Spirit takes that word and enables us to believe it. He gives us the gift of faith in Jesus. Now, as little Christians, we rest in Jesus. We drink in the rich, good news about him, and that's how we grow. He, he teaches us how to walk by his word, and his word makes us strong. But as we continue to grow up as Christians, the same habits that were good for us when we were little are still good for us now. Because the Holy Spirit uses them to press us on, to grow us up and look more and more like Jesus. We, we want to look like him, right? That's one of our, that's something we want to do. We want to grow up and look like him. And as we grow, we, uh, God is going to use his word to, to make us, use his spirit to make us more and more able to handle even the tougher parts of his word. He, he makes us strong so that we don't just receive from God. He actually works through us. He, he enables us to, to do hard work in his kingdom and do good to other people. But guys, this is how we live. We keep on trusting in Jesus. We keep on resting in, in him. And then we keep on feeding on his word. God wants us to keep growing in our faith, to keep on going in our faith, not just trusting Jesus one time, a long time ago, but trusting in him every day, resting in him every day, and growing in him every day. And because his spirit does that through God's word, that's why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right, guys. Thanks. If you've not already done so, open your Bibles to the passage that Sam read for us uh, there in Acts 11. As he said, these are the same uh, verses that we uh, looked at last Sunday. And what we have here in this paragraph is a, a picture of a ministry that is blessed by God. We, we see that in verse 21 when uh, Luke tells us that the hand of the Lord was with them and a great uh, number of them uh, believed and turned to the Lord. 
So here is a, a ministry that, that God is blessing. Here is a ministry through which God is, is bringing forth fruit. And as such, it is a ministry uh, that, that teaches us something about the nature of ministry itself. As, as Sam said, there's not a one-to-one correspondence between the ministry of the early church and the, the ministry of the church today. We, we live in different contexts. There, there are, are different cultural realities. But, but nevertheless... Uh, there is something uh, universal about the ministry of the Word that, that God has called us to. And so there are aspects of this ministry that, that must be reflected in the way that we approach ministry today. And we've been trying to identify those and, and reflect on them and think about how they, they shape the way we do church here in Cleveland in the 21st century. So, so last Sunday, uh, we, we looked at the, the content of this ministry, and we saw that, that at the heart of this ministry was the ministry of the Word. These people who were scattered by the persecution that arose after Stephen's stoning, these, these people who were scattered went about preaching the Word. And we saw the extent of that ministry as well. At first, they were speaking only to Jews, but, but eventually they began to speak to the Hellenists also. They, they began to speak to, to non-Jews. They began to, to speak to those who, who did not live according to the Mosaic law that, would, that the, the Jews uh, honored so highly. And so we began to see that this ministry of the Word was not only for the Jews, not only for those who, who, who submitted to the Mosaic law, but rather that this Word was good news for all men, for all people in all places, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who will believe in Him will be saved. Those who, who put their faith in Him will never be put to shame, regardless of whether they're Jews or Gentiles. And so we, we saw both of those aspects last week, and we saw how those aspects continue to be reflected in the church today. And so this morning we want to, to press on to, to three more aspects of this ministry. The, the fruit of the ministry, the examination of the ministry, and then finally the cultivation of the ministry. So let's, let's begin with the fruit. What is the fruit of this ministry that we see described here in these verses and I would suggest to you that if we, if we were going to, to sum it up, we would say that, that the fruit of this ministry, the fruit of this, this faithful ministry of the Word, is a life or lives transformed by faith. The fruit of this ministry is not mere belief. It's not just that people came to believe certain things about Jesus. It's not just that they, they came to believe certain doctrines, but rather what we see in this text is, that, is, is lives that have actually been transformed by that good news. They have come to uh, bring all of their life in submission to the reality that Jesus is Lord, that He is the Christ in whom God has provided salvation for all people. We, we see this first in verse 21. Look again at what Luke says. He says, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So, so there is faith, there is believing, all right? There, there, is, there, is, there is an acceptance of the word, a receiving of the word. When these people went preaching the good news, they were, they were preaching a, a specific message. They were, they were proclaiming a certain good news, the good news that Jesus had come. 
that, that he was the Christ, that he was the, the long-promised Savior, that he had come in fulfillment of all of God's promises to, to bring salvation to, to any and all who believe in him. And so there is a, a content to this good news, this, this good news of, of Jesus Christ uh, crucified and, and risen again. And, and you have to believe that good news. You have to receive it. But there's more than that going on here. Notice those who believed did what? They turned to the Lord. This is the language of repentance. This is the language of, of turning from your former way of life to God with the full purpose of now walking in obedience to Him. This is, this is the language of life transformation. These people who had believed the gospel these people who had received the good news about Jesus Christ were now going to live differently. They were now going to live like Jesus is Lord. They were going to submit to him as Lord. Think of the way that Paul puts this in his letter to the Colossians. In, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, he, he's writing to those who have received Jesus the Lord. And what does he say to them? He says, as you have received Jesus the Lord, now walk in him. This is what he is calling people to. Or as he puts it in Ephesians, he's calling them to live lives worthy of the calling with which they have been called. Life transformation is the goal. When we receive Jesus Christ as Lord, when we, when we hear and receive the good news about him, it transforms everything. And that's what we see going on here. Those who believed turned to the Lord. We, we see the same thing in, in verse 23. Look again at this verse. We'll come back to this verse again later, but for now, just notice that when, when Barnabas comes from Jerusalem to, to see what's going on in Antioch, we're told that he sees the grace of God and is glad. He, he sees the, the, the fruit of what God is doing through the ministry of the Word. He sees the gift of God in these people's lives. And, and what, how does he respond to that? We're told that he exhorts them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Again, think about what that language means. If he's exhorting them to remain faithful to the Lord, it means that they have begun to walk faithful to the Lord. It means their lives have, have been transformed, and now he is exhorting them that they're, they are on the right path. Keep going. Your lives have been transformed. You are now living differently and you must continue to do so because Jesus is not Lord just at the beginning of your life. He is Lord forever. And you must continue to honor him as Lord. You must remain faithful. And that word faithful is, is significant because to be faithful is to live out your faith. It is to embody your, your faith. It is to live in accord with, with what you profess to believe. You, you profess to believe that Jesus is the Savior. You, you profess to believe that, that He is the Lord, that in Him you have new life, that, that you were created to glorify and enjoy Him for, for all eternity, and you must now live in accord with that. You cannot live in ways that, that, that belie uh, the confession of your mouth. That, that say that, that something else is your greatest good, that you're, you're seeking your satisfaction in some broken cistern that can hold no water. Barnabas is exhorting them to remain faithful, to, to continue living out their faith. 
And notice, he's exhorting them to remain faithful with steadfast purpose. Some translations put it as as full devotions or with your your full heart. The the idea here is that you are remaining faithful, not not seeking out the minimum requirement. You ever done that? I, I remember doing that when I was in high school. I tried to figure out what is the minimum requirement that the teacher is going to require. You know, what, what, what are they going to require for me to, to, to get the grade I want in this class? And I want to do no more. You know, I, I want to do the, the minimum requirement. We, we often do that. We often focus in on what's the minimum that I can get away with. And Barnabas is saying that is not the way of a disciple. That is not the way of the Christian life. The Christian life is, is not one of seeking out the minimum Seeking out the, the minimum you need to get by, the minimum you need to, to, to maintain your membership in the, in the covenant community. That's not what discipleship is about. Discipleship is about remaining faithful, about living out your faith with full devotion, with steadfast purpose. Seeking to, to honor God as Lord with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. This is how we are to love God. This is how we are to honor him in our lives. And it's exactly what what Barnabas is is calling the Christians to here in Antioch. He he is calling them to to lives fully transformed by their faith. We see it again even in that, that title, Christian. Notice verse 26. We're told at the very end here that it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Now, when Luke puts it that way, it it seems that this is a term that was coined by outsiders. This was a a term that was coined by by people outside the church looking in at these disciples and saying, hey, those those people are are Christians. But it's not necessarily a derisive term. So often, the the terms that the world comes up with for the church are are derisive terms. And maybe this was meant that way, uh, but, but really it's more descriptive. In, in that day, there were people known as Herodians. You, you come across them in the pages of the, the New Testament. You, you've read about them even here in the, the book of Acts, right? Who are the Herodians? The Herodians are, are people who are loyal to Herod, people who are loyal to, to Herod's reign and to, to Herod's kingdom. They are, they are the people who promote his rule, who honor him as Lord. They are the Herodians, and and really the the language of Christian is much the same. It's a a, a similar construction. These are the people of Christ. These are the people who have received Jesus, the Christ, as Lord. These are the people who are loyal to him and to his kingdom. These are the people who now serve his purposes. This is what outsiders could see about these disciples in Antioch. Their lives were clearly transformed. It wasn't just that that they had come to believe a few propositions about Jesus, but rather they were now the people who lived as his loyal subjects. They were the people who now honored him in their lives, their transformed lives, as Lord. And so again and again throughout this text, we see that the fruit of this ministry of the Word, the the fruit of, of God's blessing... Are lives transformed by faith. There is faith. There is the, the receiving of the truths about Jesus, the, the good news about who he is and what he has accomplished on our behalf, the, the good news that he is the eternal Son of God come in the flesh, that he has lived a, a life under the law and has now offered himself as the sacrifice for our sins in our place 
becoming sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. There is that good news. But again, it's not just receiving that good news as, a, as an intellectual proposition, but it is rather coming to live in the light of that news. Allowing that good news to transform everything about the way we live in this present age. This is the fruit of God's grace that, that Barnabas saw when he came to Anak. This is the, the fruit that made him glad. He saw the harvest of righteousness that was coming from the proclamation of the gospel. And I want to suggest to you that this is, this is an aspect of ministry that must, that must be reflected today. This is the fruit that we should desire. As we speak the word when we are gathered, as we speak the word when we are scattered in the community, when we speak the word, when we proclaim the good news of who Jesus Christ is, it must always be to the end of transformed lives. We, we are not interested in merely making believers, but rather we want to see people who, who now walk in the Lord as Lord. Yes, they will be rooted in that faith, but they will be built up in Him. They will be conformed more and more to the image of the glory of their Savior. Their lives will be transformed by their faith. This is, this is the, the fruit that we, ought to want, that we want to see through our ministry. It's the fruit that we want to see in ourselves. We don't want to be mere believers. We want to be disciples. We want to be Christians. We want to be people of Christ who honor him as Lord in every aspect of our lives. So this is what we must pray for. This is what we ask God to give as we see Paul doing so often throughout his letters. And this is what we must work towards. Our ambition as ministers of the gospel, and ambition is the right word, it's what we want to see. Our ambition is to see lives transformed here in this body and in this community as we interact with those who are not yet part of Christ's church. And so this is the goal. Lives transformed. By faith. Now, I understand that that can be surprising to some people. That this, this talk of, of transformed lives, this, this talk of, of good works done in, in faith, it, it can be surprising because, after all, aren't we saved by grace apart from works? Isn't all this, this talk about works going to somehow compromise the gospel? Isn't it somehow against grace? Not at all. Yes, we are saved by faith apart from works. It is in faith that we are united to Christ. But you must understand that we are united to Christ that we might share in his life. Think of that famous passage in, in Ephesians chapter 2. It's, it's there that we read maybe most clearly in all of the New Testament that we are saved by grace apart from works. But I can still hear my dad saying to me over and over again when I was a kid, he said, don't ever quote verses 8 and 9 without throwing in 10. He said, don't miss the point. You've been saved by grace through faith apart from works. Why? To do those good works that he has already prepared that you should walk in them. 
You've been saved apart from works that you might do good works. You could never do the good works you need to earn God's blessing, but he has lavished his grace on you in Christ that you might do the good works for which you were created, that you might enter into the joy of honoring him as Lord. It's not just Paul who says this, but but we, we read it throughout the New Testament. James says the same thing, that faith without works is dead. God has brought us to faith in Christ that we might now live differently. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say in in Titus chapter 2 that Jesus has purified us for himself. He has redeemed us because he desires a people who are zealous for good works. A people who do not tire of doing good. God has not called us to be mere believers. He has called us to be disciples whose lives have been transformed by faith. So this is our first point, the fruit, the fruit of this ministry. This is the the fruit that we long to see through our ministry. It's the fruit that we long to, to see in ourselves. And because there is a fruit in mind, there is an examination process. And that's the, the next thing that we see here. The next thing we see is, is how this ministry is examined. Look again at verse 22. We're told that when the church in Jerusalem hears about the, uh, what's going on in Antioch, they send Barnabas. They send Barnabas to, to check it out. They, they send Barnabas to, to see what's going on. Now, now many read this sort of as a, an expression of cynical skepticism. The, the Jews sort of not trusting the, the Gentiles to be true believers. And, and maybe there's something of that going on here. There might, there might be, be something of, the, of uh, there might be a sort of skepticism going on here, but notice, it's not, it's not a cynical skepticism. When Barnabas comes to, to see <coughs> what's going on in Antioch, and when he sees the, the grace of God on full display in their lives, what are we told? We're told that he is glad. He, he rejoices in what he sees. He is not like Jonah. You remember the story of Jonah? Jonah is sent to Nineveh. And he doesn't want to go. Why? Because he knows that his preaching will work. He doesn't want to go because he knows that God is gracious. And he knows that if he goes and proclaims to them the, uh, the, the threat of God's judgment against sin, God will use that proclamation to bring them to repentance and, and they will be forgiven. That's the last thing that he wants. And so when it happens, when he, when he finally gets there after a, a, a small detour, when he finally gets there and proclaims, it's like the worst sermon ever. Forty more days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. He doesn't mention anything but the coming wrath of God, but God uses that pathetic sermon to bring the people of Nineveh to repentance. And Jonah is mad. He is mad about it because he doesn't want the Assyrians to be saved. That's not at all what we see going on here. Barnabas isn't like Jonah. When he sees the grace of God on display in Antioch, he is glad. So if there's skepticism here, it's it's more like incredulity. It's more like just an unbelief that, wow, God's even bringing the Gentiles into his church. God's grace is extending even to the nations. So so there's something of that going on, but there's, there's more than that going on. It's not just that they're going, they, they want to go check it out because they can't believe it. I, I think there is actually an examination process going on here, and it is right and good. 
I want you to hear me say that. It is right and good for the church in Jerusalem, the the apostolic church in Jerusalem. It is right and good for that church to send someone to examine this new church in Antioch. It's right because there is a specific content to the gospel. And there is a specific shape to the Christian life. The Christian life is is not what we make it up to be. The the gospel is not what we imagine it to be. The gospel is God's word. And it it has a content. Discipleship is conformity to the the image of the Son. And it has a a shape. There is a faith once for all delivered to the saints. That that apostolic gospel. And we are to contend for that faith. We're, We're not to change it. We're not to amend it. We're we're not to to shape it like a wax nose according to our preferences. There is a a gospel that is to be held on to. And there is a a form of discipleship to which we are to conform. We don't get to decide what it looks like to honor Jesus as Lord. This is is why the New Testament sometimes uses the language of, of sound doctrine. A more literal translation of that phrase would be healthy teaching. There is certain teaching that conforms with health, that brings forth health in the the lives of of those who listen to it. There is healthy teaching. There is sound doctrine. And we are to receive that sound doctrine. We are to receive that healthy teaching. And we are to live in conformity to it. And of course, by way of contrast, there are also false teachers and, and false gospels that must be identified and rejected. This is why there is an examination process. This is why the church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas to Antioch to to examine the fruit of what is going on there. Because the church must be built on the one foundation of the apostolic gospel, the cornerstone of that gospel being Jesus Christ himself. There is simply no other foundation. There is no other foundation upon which the church can rest. There is no other foundation upon which the church can be built. And so it is good. And again, I want you to hear me say that. It is good. It is good that the church has this process of examination. And again, that's something that we see even in our ministries today. There is a a process of examination There's a process of examination as we go about the the work of ministry. You you may not always think of it in that terms, but but think about it. Individual churches examine those who who come forward for membership. When when you come forward for for membership, I just had the opportunity this week to to meet with a a couple and to to hear their profession of faith, and and I was explaining to them that, that part of the point here is, I need to know that you know what the gospel is. And I need to know that that you are now living in light of that gospel. If you're going to come and join yourself to the church, there is an examination process that takes place. And that's good. And not only is it for our members, but also for our officers. We we have a a year-long process. You may remember all the way back in February, you you nominated uh, men for the offices of of elder and for, for deacon. And those men have gone through a a year-long process of training, but also of examination. And at the end of their training, there will be an actual exam. 
An exam that, that looks at not only their, their knowledge, but also their life. Are these people who know the gospel, these people who live in accord with the gospel? There is a, there's a right examination process. And, and in the Presbyterian church, presbyteries or, or the groups of churches in a, in a certain area, all for us, it's the, the churches in the Tennessee Valley, down from, from Dalton, Georgia, up to Sevierville, on that sort of 75 corridor. That's our, our presbytery. That's, that is the, 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 the group of churches with which we are most closely connected. And you need to understand that I only have the right to stand before you and preach the gospel because they have examined me. And they have examined Sam. And they have examined the other ministers in our, our presbytery. They have examined us to see whether or not, yes, our doctrine is right, whether we, we preach the word uh, truly, but also whether we live in accord with it. They, they, they examine us in our, in our knowledge as well as our life. And that is good. You ought to be thankful that you are part of a church that has an examination process. It's, it's not an expression of cynicism. It's not a, an undue power play, but it is a right acknowledgement that the ministry of the Word has content and that the fruit of that Word has a, has a shape. And we are seeking to make sure that those who, who profess to be brothers, those who, who profess to be believers, those who profess to be Christians, truly are. They have received the actual apostolic gospel and they are now living in accord with Jesus' lordship as it is revealed, not as they imagine it to be. So there's an examination process going on here. But I, but I want you to notice more than that. I want you to notice who does the examining. Because I think that is important as well. Notice, the, notice who does the examining here. The, uh, the, the church in Jerusalem sends who? They say it sends Barnabas. And if you're, if you're sort of reading Acts in one sitting, that, that, that might strike you because way back in chapter 8 we saw something similar to this. Do you remember? It was a long time ago, so I'll, I'll forgive you if you don't. But, but a long time ago, when we were back in chapter 8, we saw the gospel beginning to spread into Samaria. So here in these verses we're seeing the gospel overflow Samaria to the ends of the earth. But back in chapter 8, we saw the gospel for the first time overflowing from Jerusalem and Judea into Samaria. And what did we see? We saw that when the church in Jerusalem heard about the gospel flowing into Samaria, what did they do? They sent someone to check it out. But who did they send? They sent Peter and John. They sent apostles. This time, the church sends Barnabas, who is not an apostle. He, he is not one of the apostles. And I, and I think that change is significant. It's significant because it shows us the, the development that is taking place in the church. It suggests that while the apostolic gospel is the one and only foundation of the church, the authority to minister that gospel was beginning to be passed to non-apostolic Leaders. We actually saw the, the first uh, non-apostolic leaders in the church way back in Acts chapter 6. Do you remember? When, when the church in Jerusalem needed uh, men to, to help uh, 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 rule in the church and to make sure that things were being done properly and, and in order. There were seven men who were chosen. We, and we 
sometimes refer to those as proto-deacons because in that context, the the particular role that they were being called to uh, was a service role. But as I said, again, a long time ago when we looked at those verses, that that, that while they are sort of proto-deacons, they're they're really more of an amalgam of elders and deacons. They are being called to lead in the church. These These are the first ordained leaders in the church after the apostles. And later, their role will be divided between elders and deacons, as it is in the church today. But the point is that these are leaders who have been set apart by the laying on of hands who are not apostles. And I think we see something of that going on here when the church decides to send Barnabas rather than an apostle. It suggests to us that that Barnabas has been recognized as a leader Someone who is devoted to the apostolic gospel. Someone who holds to the apostolic gospel. Someone who who proclaims the apostolic gospel. But someone who is not himself an apostle. And I would suggest to you that we actually see that in the word word church itself. In Acts chapter 8, it is the apostles in Jerusalem who hear about what's going on in Samaria. And it is the apostles who send apostles. But here, what happens? Here, the church hears... And the church sends Barnabas, a non-apostle. And if that is correct, if this is correct, if this is the, the sort of a hint at the, at the beginnings of a, of a non-apostolic leadership in the church, a, 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 church that, a, a, a leadership that is committed to the apostolic gospel, that holds to it, but, it was, but is not actually apostles, then that gives added weight to the description of Barnabas that we see in verse 24. Look again how Barnabas is described. Barnabas is described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. One commentator points out this is the only time that a man is called good in the book of Acts. We're not used to the Bible calling people good. But but what does it mean? It means that he is a a good man. We know what that means. We know what that language means. We're not assuming that he's good in and of himself. In fact, it tells us in the very next phrase, he's he's full of the Holy Spirit. But the, the Spirit is bearing fruit in his life so that he is a good man. He is a man above reproach. He is a man who not perfectly, but sincerely and earnestly lives out the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He is a man who is walking in the faith faithfully, with full devotion. He is a good man. And he, and he is a good man because he is full of the Holy Spirit. He is, he is full of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the work of the Spirit is evident in his life. Maybe it's evident in gifts, but, but mostly it is evident in the fruit. The fruit of his life. He is a son of encouragement. That's what his, his name means. He, he is a man who encourages. He is a man who serves. He is a man full of the Holy Spirit. And he is a man full of faith. He is a man who is devoted fully to the faith. A man fully devoted to the proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord. A man whose life has been truly and extensively transformed by that gospel. Why does Luke tell us this? Why does does Luke describe Barnabas in this way? I am convinced that he describes us in this way because he is describing the essential characteristics of those who would be leaders in Christ's church. As the baton is being passed from the apostles to this this new generation of non-apostolic leaders, 
These are the men. These are the, these are the characteristics that we want to see embodied. And in fact, we see this set out explicitly later in Paul's letters when he says, look, when you're looking for elders in your church, when you're looking for deacons in your church, you must look for men like this. Good men, men above reproach, men full of the Holy Spirit, men full of faith. These are the men uh, to, to whom the leadership of the church can be entrusted. Now, obviously, this morning I don't have time to, to get to the cultivation of this fruit. But this is the, the work of cultivation. These are the men to whom that work of cultivation is going to be entrusted. So what have we, what have we seen this, this morning? Following up on our sermon last Sunday, where we, where we looked at the, the content and the extent of this ministry, this morning we have seen the fruit of this ministry, and we have seen the examination of this ministry. We've seen that, that, that the proclamation of the gospel transforms lives. It doesn't just make believers, it makes disciples. It doesn't just make converts, it makes Christians. And that is the, the fruit that we are after. That's the fruit that we are after as a church. And that is the fruit that we ought to long to see in our own lives. It's the fruit that we ought to, to pray for. And because it is the fruit that we, ought to, uh, that we ought to desire, we ought to welcome the examination of that fruit by the church. We ought not to resist it, but we ought to welcome it. We ought to be delighted that there are, that there are leaders in Christ's church who can come alongside us and, and can, can show us where we are walking in accord with the truth and where we are not. Where, where our lives are, are reflecting the glory of God and where we have, have, have slipped into to sinful patterns. We ought to welcome. We ought to welcome such leadership. We ought to welcome ex such uh, examination. We ought to welcome such exhortation to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Because this is what God is doing through the ministry of his word. He is making Christians. And because he is doing that, because he is making Christians through the ministry of his word, through his church, because he is doing that, we can know, we can know that when we proclaim that word, he will work through us. He will work in us and he will work through us. To bring people to faith, but not only to bring them to, to an intellectual faith, but to bring them to a faith that transforms their lives. And because this is the work that God does through the ministry of his word, because the gospel makes us new, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that, that through your word you are making us new. And we pray, Father, that not, you would not only uh, cultivate in our hearts a, a longing for this fruit, but that you would give us the humility to welcome the examination that promotes uh, its propagation, Father. We, we ask this in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen.